Well, what a great honor it is for me to uh, be here with you and say thanks to you for what you do. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Educators and those that are part of that process have a special place in my heart because uh, most of my life uh, I've either been in college somewhere or trying to improve myself through some education. We are delighted to be here, my wife and I, Lois, and uh, she's a wonderful lady and uh, quick on her feet, I might add. She's the church secretary. And uh, the other day, I understand she got a telephone call from someone over there in Tahlequah. That's uh, Cherokee County, for those of you that don't know, rural area. And someone called and said, uh, Ma'am, I'd like to speak to the head hog over there. And she said, well, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. She said, I wanna, he said, I want to talk to the head pig, you know, the one that gets to the trough first. She said, sir, to begin with, we don't talk about our ministerial staff like that. And I just want you to know that... Uh, that's just not the way that we uh, have a relationship with people. And he said, well, ma'am, I wished you would or did because I've got a substantial amount of money I'd like to give your church. She said, hold on a minute. I see the big pig coming right now. <laughs> and uh, what a pleasure it is to be here. I, I was reading... Uh, something that James Garfield said to us. He was the president of Hiram College uh, before he became president, and you're probably aware. But uh, someone, a father, had brought his son to campus to attend the institution, and he said this to the president. He said, uh, Dr. Garfield, said, I know that you have a very demanding course of study here, and I know that you challenge people in this university. Said, uh, you know, my son would like to get through the program a little quicker than others. Said, do you have just maybe a less rigorous program? Dr. Garfield looked at that man and said, the good Lord took him a hundred years to make the great oak and about two months to make a squash. Now what do you have in mind for your son? Now look, I say that because uh, three of our church members, three of our uh, students, your students, are in our church. They're on the online study program. And they come to me and tell me what a demanding course it is. Thank you. I'm serious. You know, we want them to get the best out of it. The church are, is helping them along in the process. We've got one that's pursuing a BA and the other two in the uh, modular program. And uh, you're getting the best out of them, and we appreciate it. We thank you so much for that. And uh, we, want them, we want it to be of value to them when they get through with the program. And, and so we know that you're doing that. Well, I'd like to share some scriptures with you this morning, if I could. You don't need to, I'll just read these scriptures to you. In Psalms 100, verse 3, 
It says, Know that the Lord, He is God. He is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Excuse me. There had been another scripture that I'd like to refer to is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. And then another scripture that I think is appropriate this morning is found in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear, listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now you don't know me, but I want to share a little bit of my story with you this morning if I could. I'd be interested in hearing your story. You know, it's biblical to tell our story because... Over in Acts chapter 26, you will remember the Apostle Paul sharing his story with King Agrippa. You remember that? When he had opportunity to have an audience with King Agrippa, he told what his life was like before he had met the Lord, surrendered to him. He told about that experience when he gave his heart and life to God. And he told about his life after the Lord had come into his life. I'd like to share a little bit of my life with you this morning. You know, I grew up in a rural area called over in Okmulgee County. A little old Cherokee Indian boy running up down the road barefooted. And uh, the last thing that I ever envisioned would happen in my life <clears throat> is that I'd have an opportunity to be with you this morning. And what an honor it is. <clears throat> and how good God's been to me. I don't know you, don't know your background, don't know what kind of homes you may have came from or what your experiences have been in life, but I know what mine were. I was raised in a good, good home. Wasn't a Christian home, but a good home. And... All throughout my early life, now that I look back at it and have the perspective of time, I see how God was involved in my life. Little old kid from a place called Oak Muggy, God was there and involved in my life and speaking to me. I can remember how the Lord would place people in my life. You see, he had plans for me. He had plans for you. When, you. when you were small, when you were just a child, God had plans for you. He had his eyes on you. And he had a good plan for you. I can remember in the community that I grew up in, I can remember the Burt family that were good Christian people. And what an influence that had on my family. I can remember my mother and father talking about the Burts, who were good friends of ours. They were good Christian people. And what an influence they had on us. Now, at the same time they were having an influence on us, they were having an influence on other people as well. 
But God was working His perfect will in my life, you see. And all the experiences that you've had in life, the Lord was working His perfect will in your life. I remember the Hendricks family. Some of the poorest people in the community I often tell people, I grew up in a poor community. Now listen, let me tell you something. The wolf wasn't at our door. It, she'd already got in the house and had a batch of pups under the kitchen stove. We were poor people. But I can remember all throughout my life how the Lord was speaking to me and talking to me. And people were planting seeds in my life. Isn't that a mysterious thing? I can remember my father worked in the oil field in those early days. I remember that he worked for a person named O.C. Adams, who owned the company that my father worked for. I don't know if any of you have had any experiences in the oil field, and particularly in the 50s, in the days of wildcatting, and you know how wild that could be. I remember going out with my father to the drilling rig where O.C. Adams on the drilling rig. And I, I can remember the kind of language and the, the harsh reality of that lifestyle during that time frame. And I never will forget, we got word that O.C. Adams had been involved in a train car wreck. His car had been hit by a train. Shortly thereafter, and certainly that impacted our family because, uh, you know, like most people in my community, it was kind of a hand-to-mouth existence. And when my father couldn't work, there were certainly going to be problems for the family. We got word that, that he'd had a car wreck. And then I heard my father say to my mother, O.C. Adams got religion. That's the way he said it. And I have marveled about that. I, I don't know. He must have heard through the, uh, through the grapevine. We didn't have a telephone, so I don't know how he got word. But we, we got word that O.C. Adams had got religion. Not only did we get that word, we got word that he was coming to see us. Now, all of us knew O.C. Adams. We knew what his life had been. We knew what the circumstances had been in his life. And as little kids, I can remember my sister and I, all the siblings in the family, talking about O.C. Adams coming to our home. And so he came. I can remember he was sitting in the front room. Somebody had came with him, I guess, driving. They were sitting in the front room talking to my father. My sister and I were in the bedroom hiding behind the door. Can you relate to that? We were in the bedroom hiding behind the door. We were listening. The fact that, that O.C. Adams, and, and when I saw him, he'd changed. His countenance had changed. He didn't even look like the same person uh, that I'd seen before. And I heard him sit in there and testify to my father about the goodness and the mercy of God. You see, God had a plan for my life. Well, 
All during my life, those kinds of experiences happen. I can remember in the little rural community that I lived in, there was a new preacher came to the community, and I can remember him coming to our house and visiting. We called him the red-headed preacher. He was red-headed. I don't remember his name. That wasn't important. But he came to our home, and I remember the kindness that he showed our family. I remember that I knew as a little kid that somebody cared about me. I knew he cared about my mother and my father. He was interested in us. You see, somebody was planting seeds, and God was working his perfect plan for my life. Well, I went off, joined the Marine Corps. Those early days, Vietnam was just getting started, and I'd shipped out shortly thereafter. But I can remember arriving uh, at boot camp, MCRD. People ask me, what seminary did you graduate from? I tell them, MCRD. They say, they don't, I don't, never heard of that. MCRD. Marine Corps Recruit Depot. I actually graduated from, but what a great uh, help that was to me. And you know, God was even working in that place. I can remember walking around boot camp and I saw a sign. It said this. It said to be a Marine, you had to believe in God. You had to believe in your country. You had to believe in yourself. And I remember of all the people that's been these many years that I remembered from boot camp. Private Hawt was one of the people I remembered. He was a Christian boy from down in Texas in boot camp when I was. God was using him to speak to my heart. A little old kid, a, God had a plan for my life. You see, his eyes had looked a, across the earth, and he'd saw me, and he had a plan for me, and he had a purpose for my life. And then shortly thereafter, after coming home for a short leave, I went to Vietnam. Now, that's my second point. I believe that all of us, God has a plan for our lives. And I believe God's been working in your life just like he's been working in mine. And that's a great mystery to me. How God can work all of that out, be working in all of our lives at the same time to fulfill his wonderful purpose for all of us. Ever thought about that? The experiences you have and the experiences that I have, even though we may experience them at the same time, God's working his perfect will in our lives. Well, I got over to uh, Vietnam and wasn't uh, too many months after I got there that we were on patrol. And I was the point man. I don't know if you know what that means or not. What it means, I was the guy up front and something happened. I was likely the guy that was going to get shot. And uh, we were ambushed and I was shot four times. I was shot in the hip and the chest and both legs. I had a collapsed lung, shattered my pelvis. It shattered both my tibia and fibula, severed an artery, shot in the left leg. And uh, as I was laying there on that place, ready to die, ready to die, 
I tell people all the time, any one of those, uh, three of those wounds were life-threatening. Any one of them could have took my life. But you see, God wasn't through with me yet. And I don't believe for a minute that God caused that to happen, but he was going to use that to change my life. <laughs> he was using what uh, some people might say, the worst thing that could happen to me. It turned out that God used it for my good. I don't have time to go through all the, <clears throat> the details about that experience. But I was laying there, and because God had been speaking to me through my life, through people, I knew something about him. I remembered something about the Burts and the Hendrixes. I remembered something about the red-headed preacher and all those people that had spoke to me and sown seeds in my life. I remembered God hadn't forgotten me. And a merciful God spared my life. And I remember saying to the Lord, Oh God, if you'll let me live. I didn't know much about praying, but I sure was doing some talking. And the God was listening. And he spared my life, allowed me to live. Now, I've come to some conclusions about that, that, that there are events that happen in all of our lives. There are times and circumstances. There are seasons of our lives when God is speaking to us in a new way. And you know what? I didn't understand all about that. Maybe I still don't know all about it. But I do understand this, that until we see the whole picture, we can't rush to judgment. <laughs> My mother was a wonderful cook, and she could make the most out of the least of anybody I've seen. Maybe I can explain what I mean by what I just said to you by using the illustration of my mother. My mother stood about 4 foot 11 inches tall. She had black eyes that looked all the way into your soul. Ever been around anybody like that? My mother ruled the roost. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have a brother, or had a brother that was about six foot four inches tall. My mother at 4'11 never had a bit of trouble with him. <laughs> but I learned something about God and the way he works in life by experiencing something early on in my childhood. My mother could make the very best chicken noodles you ever tasted in all your life. I can just see her right now. In fact, I was thinking about that last night, thinking about my little old mother, and there was seven of us kids, so she, you know she had to work hard. But I was thinking about her in the kitchen, and I'd see her leaned over the counter, and she'd get the dough, and she'd, whatever it takes to make chicken noodles, and I'm not sure I know all that it takes to make chicken noodles, but I, I'm an expert in knowing good chicken noodles, trust me. And I remember her making those and how good they were. I remember one day that I saw my mother making chicken noodles. Now, I don't know if you know all the process, and, and I certainly couldn't tell you all, but you, you pat the dough out and you roll it out, 
then you roll it up and you cut it. And I saw my mother doing that and I thought, man, I don't think I can wait to get some of those chicken noodles. My mother happened to be out of the kitchen. She still had them there. They were cut, ready to put in the water when the broth was boiled. And uh, so I darted in there and grabbed one of those chicken noodles before it was finished and put it in my mouth and I spit flyer everywhere, all over that kitchen. Now what I've discovered out of that is until it's finished, until God's done, we just don't know what he's got in mind for us. Makes sense? See, we look at circumstances in life and events in life and, and we think maybe that that's the worst possible thing that could happen and I don't mean God causes those bad things, but I do believe God uses those things for our good if we'll let him. And things happen in life. They're life-changing. It either makes us bitter or it makes us better. And it's up to us what we do with it and what we allow the Lord to do with it. What we allow the Lord to do with the circumstances in our life. If we allow him to work his perfect will and plan in our life, then we'll discover the destiny that he has for us. And those experiences in life, as I've mentioned to you, are are life-changing. Let me tell you an experience I had kind of regressed a little bit. When I was a little kid growing up, there was a young Indian boy that, that I was well acquainted with. And I couldn't have been over the third or fourth grade. We were the best of friends. We were inseparable. In fact, if you saw a picture of us on some kind of a school outing, we were always together. He was my good friend. He'd come over to my home, and I always wanted to go to his home, but he always hesitated. I never could figure that out. Finally, one day, and I saw it was with some hesitation that he said, well, Mom and Dad said, come on over, spend the night. Well, I was excited about going to his home. We got on the church on the school bus in a rural area. We went as far as we could go in that school district north, stopped at the farthest point that we could possibly go, and we got off that school bus and started walking down a blind section line. That means a dead end. Going to his house. Kind of an eerie place. The trees were over the road and shadows, and it was kind of late in the afternoon, and I remember walking. I thought, man, these little old kids, I've got a good. The school bus stops right by my door every day. They, it seemed like it must have been a three-quarters of a mile walk down that road. And we got down near to the end of that road, and I saw down there a little, one of the humblest homes I'd ever seen in all of my life. I told you I was poor. These folks were really, really poor. We played that afternoon and that night. We went in to eat our supper. Now, here's what we had for that supper. We had some black-eyed peas. You know what black-eyed peas are? We had a f several black-eyed peas. Let me put it that way. Several. Now, I, when I say several, I don't mean over an abundance of black-eyed peas. I mean there were just several on our plate. 
and we had a glass of warm cow's milk. That's what our supper was. And you know, I felt like that because I was there, they were making special provision for me. I just got the idea that probably that family may not have that much to eat, generally. We got up the next morning. Guess what was on my plate? You guessed it, black-eyed peas. Now, the title of my story normally when I tell this is the seven black-eyed peas story. Can you guess how many black-eyed peas was on my plate? I'm serious. And we had those black-eyed peas. We had that glass of warm milk. Now, listen. I could tell the rest of that story 20, 20 years later. I came in contact with somebody that knew that family and I'd ask about him and he had went into the Air Force and, and he'd got an education and now he was a computer consultant in South Tulsa and lived in a, that's one of the best areas of Tulsa, lived in, lived in a beautiful home and had a very successful event. His experience of going into the Air Force had changed his life. But the Lord used that same experience forevermore to change me. If you come to Tahlequah Church of the Nazarene, he mentioned veterans, and we have a lot of them. We have special days for veterans at our church, and we try to minister to them. But I want to tell you, we have a heart for people. Folks call it compassionate ministry, but look, I experienced firsthand of, some, of what it was like maybe to not have everything you wanted when you was growing up. And I've seen folks that, uh, because of the circumstances of life, uh, they just couldn't do, possibly, do any better. But those experiences we have in life change our very destiny. That experience that I'd had in Vietnam would forever change my life. Anymore when people introduce me, and I'm known around Oklahoma and I guess across the country because of the job I had with the Veterans Administration, now what I do with the Purple Heart. Most generally, people introduce me kind of the way that he did this morning. They know a couple of things about me. They know I'm a preacher. They know I'm a veteran. They know I'm a Purple Hearter. God used that circumstance in my life to allow me to testify to people all across this country. And I continue to be able to do that. The Lord's works in all of our lives the same way. Well, that experience in Vietnam, I was, because of it, I had gotten out of service, started to college. God was dealing with me about the ministry. And you know how folk do sometimes. Kind of kept him at a distance. But you know what? It was never the same to me after that because it seemed to me that I had a sensitivity to the Lord that I didn't have before. And God continued to deal with me and I'd already went to work for the Veterans Administration. And in 1980, I, uh, I uh, surrendered to the Lord to pastor. I wish I had time to tell you all that story about how, how I fleeced the Lord. And I, I said to God, God, if this is really what you want for me, 
Do you know what I'm talking about? God, if this is what you really want for me. I said, my father was way up in his 70s, uh, and I said, Lord, save my father. And I wanted him to save my father. And I wanted to know what God wanted me to do. And God saved my father. And I said, well, Lord, just one more fleece, God. One more, Lord. Lord, if this is what you really want me to do, let the district superintendent call me and offer me a church. Now, listen, I was enrolled in the course of study. I hadn't completed any of my studies. All he knew was that I was in that church and that I was enrolled in the course of study. Absolutely the way that it happened. He called me when our pastor left and said, Don, I want you to pastor that church. Now, what I know now that I didn't know then, he obviously must have known that it was a, that it had some troubles that it had. And they were really going to be in trouble with me. But, but you know, I was really prepared for ministry. I had one sermon that I'd preached. I said, oh God, how many ways can I preach this thing? But you know, way back there when I was a little kid, God had a plan for me. And way back there when you were a little kid, God had a plan for you. You're no different than I am. God loves you. God loves me. And he's had his eyes on you. And he's had them on me. And he's been watching for the circumstances of life. Where he could speak to you in a new way. God bless you. And put you in just the right place. When we surrender to the Lord, isn't it, isn't it a great thing? Now, I, I really have always saw my ministry as a ministry, a ministry, a calling to veterans, and I served them in the Veterans Administration, and I worked and pastored all those years. And God would bless me on the job and you know, sometimes I'm just overwhelmed with how good God was to me. Now, I can tell you about that little church that I started to pastor for. I think it was nine years. They gave me $35 a week. And uh, they raised my salary to $50 a week for the next three that I was at that little church. But Alan God hadn't forgotten about me. He blessed me on my job. I was working in a little place uh, in Muskogee, Oklahoma, where the regional office was. And one of the smaller regional offices in the country at that time. But God reached down and helped me, and I became a member of the Finance Officer Advisory Committee and the Administrative Officer Advisory Committee. And later on, God blessed me, and I ran a national program for the VA. I'd often pinch myself. And say, Lord, is this me? I'm serious. God, is this me? Sometimes I'd feel overwhelmed with the responsibility that I had, and I'd travel all over 
this great country and had great opportunity to witness for him in lots of different places, lots of different times. In fact, one of the things I'd always do is witness to people when I was in the taxi cab. I'd witness to the how good the Lord was. Tell them, you know, it's easy to strike up a conversation with folks in it that drive a cab. I don't know whether you know that or not. And often I'd be at Washington, D.C., and some of, they're from all over the world driving a cab in Washington, D.C. Some of them be from Africa. But I remember one time this guy had picked me up Crystal City Marriott, I know exactly where I was, and I was on my way to the airport, put my bags in the taxi cab, began to leave, and I struck up a conversation with him. And you know, my, my story's a little different and uh, about getting shot four times, and uh, somewhere in that conversation I'd testify about how good God was, and I was testifying to this guy that was driving me to the airport. And he said in broken English, so that's an interesting story. He said, you know, I'm from Cambodia. I said, Cambodia? I said, that must be a... I knew all that had been going on in Cambodia is about the time the Khmer Rouge over there. He said, yeah. He said, you know, they captured me, shot me, and left me for dead in a ditch. I said, that's amazing. He said, yeah. He said, I woke up, and they captured me again, and shot me again, and left me again for death. So that's one time somebody topped my story, but... <laughs> God's good. God's busy in all of our lives. God's busy in your life. God put you in this place, this time, for a great purpose. I told Harold that the Bible college can have a great influence upon the church. You know that, don't you? He told me that 20% of the pastors in the Church of the Nazarene came out of the Bible college. Isn't that something? What an influence that you can have on the church. God's raised you up for this day. You see, way back there when you were a kid, God had planned to put you in this place so you can have influence. I often tell people I'm at the point in my life that I, I want to leave a legacy. I want to help the next generation coming along, and you've got the opportunity to do it. May God bless you.